You Can't Spell Inclusion Without a D, the podcast that explores the power of inclusion and why disability is an important part of the workplace diversity and inclusion conversation. Produced by the Ontario Disability Employment Network, with your hosts, Jeanette Campbell and Dean Askin. Hello, and wherever you're listening from, I hope you're staying safe as we head into another fall of the pandemic. Welcome to another episode of You Can't Spell Inclusion Without a D. This is episode four. I'm Dean Askin. And I'm Jeanette Campbell. I was just thinking, here we are recording this episode on the last full day of summer. Tomorrow is September 22nd, and October is just a few days away. And it feels like the shorter days are starting to go by way too quickly, Dean. Oh, I know. It was getting dark early last night, and pretty soon when I head out for my morning rides early, around 7 o'clock or so, I'll be heading out in the dark, and I guess it's going to be getting time to dust off my warm cycling gloves, too. But hey, I've heard this year it's probably going to be warm through a lot of October, so at least that's uplifting. Well, speaking of uplifting and even exciting, here in Canada and the U.S., October's the month that everyone who works in the disability employment sector really does get excited about. And that's because October is National Disability Employment Awareness Month, or NDEAM for short. It's the month every year when we recognize and celebrate the contributions that people who have a disability make to businesses and communities, and how they help com- companies be successful and competitive. And this year, NDEAM is really significant, I think, because we're really at a watershed moment when it comes to disability and employment. There's more conversation about it, awareness of it, and action on disability inclusion in business than ever before. That's a really good thing, isn't it? But, you know, as you and I both know, Jeanette, disability-related inclusion efforts, still too often they get left out or they get left behind when business priorities change in the short term. But, you know, when you consider things like the Valuable 500 initiative, there really is incredible progress being made in 2021. So I'm guessing that our guest this episode is as charged up as our whole team at Odin is right now with ending 2021 happening. Well, we're going to find out. Our guest today is John Robinson, and he's the founder, president and CEO of our ability in the US, in Upper New York State to be more precise, and the creator of Jobs Ability, a unique AI-driven platform for job seekers who have a disability. Now, Jeanette, I read John's book, and in his book, you know, he makes it clear that he's pretty much the penultimate Boston Bruins fan. So we're gonna find out a bit about that too in this conversation. Well, on top of that, John is an alumnus of Syracuse University and had an incredibly successful career that he loved in television advertising sales before starting Our Ability. And that's and all that's come after that. And in 2014, he was named a White House Champion of Change for Disability Employment by the Obama administration. So, John, welcome to the show and thanks so much for being here. My You're- pleasure. Thank you. Your your autobiography, Get Off Your Knees, and to our listeners, it's a really great read, by the way. I really enjoyed it. At the end of the book, you were still working in TV ad sales. So that's where we want to pick up this story. 
I just have to kick things off, John, here, and I have to dive in and ask you. So you love broadcasting. You, you'd reached a point in your career where you'd become sort of a, a mentor and consultant for your sales colleagues, and they were coming to you instead of the sales manager for, for advice. So why'd you leave all that behind in that chapter to start our ability? <laughs> yeah, because broadcasting years are like dog years. One year in broadcasting is seven years of your life. And at a certain point after 16 years, I realized it was it, it was time to move on. And, and, and truthfully, though, the, the one answer, Dean, is I loved it immensely. Um, I loved every, every minute of it. Um, I didn't love the pressure necessarily, but certainly the pressure made you better. Um, I loved broadcasting, but there was a higher calling. And the higher calling was as I got older and got towards my you know, 40th birthday, companies that I knew really well would ask me to come speak to them. And I fundamentally didn't understand why anybody would want me to come to speak. I really still don't. I've spoken publicly for 10 years. I, I sometimes think about that as I'm speaking. I probably should be focused on my speaking. Um, and I, I really wonder why. You know, I, yes, I look different. I'm a quad amputee. Um, I do look dramatically different. I am disabled. But it took some of my clients to make me realize that I guess I overcame, overcame some things to be successful. And so that opportunity to speak really taught me that there's a bigger calling here, and that's to help other people with disabilities find their path and their calling. You know, I mean, your parents installed that test drive you know, mentality in you from, you know, from basically from the time, you know, that the doctor in the hospital used it on your mom. Was that something was, you know, was our ability and everything else that you've done since then, is it, is it where you just had to apply that test drive mentality that was instilled in you? 100%. I mean, it's, you know, there's, if you don't take risks, you don't succeed. And part of risks is failing. You know, and that you learn that in sales. You go back to the broadcasting days. You learn that in, in broadcasting sales. Not every call is going to be successful. As a matter of fact, most calls won't be successful. And so you, you have ideas, you have thoughts, you have dreams, you need to test them out. And the, really the only way to do that is to do it. Some things will succeed, some will not. But that mentality has served me really well. And yep, the, the story that, you know, the, the, my, my parents' doctor, who delivered me, you know, really suggested to them, take me home, test drive me, see how I work out, was something that I heard a lot, an awful lot about early on. And then you realize that becomes sort of a mantra for the rest of your life. And it, it, it really is true. So John, you wrote in your book, and I'll quote you on this, when I see a challenge ahead, I take the time to think about it. And then I come up with a solution. I don't see these obstacles as dead ends. So how do you frame our ability around that? What, what sorts of challenges did you see in the labor market? And was this your solution? I think so. I think, I hope it's a solution. You know, Jeanette, I think what I, what I saw is what I lived. And that was, you know, graduating Syracuse University in 1990 with a degree in television, radio, film with no, you know, no job opportunity until four and a half years later. You know, that was interviews at CBC, City TV, uh, all throughout the United States. I mean, I, I really looked in multiple countries and multiple opportunities with multiple interviews. And so I lived the unemployment that we all deal with every day in the disability space. 
Now, fast forward 16 years, I start this organization to tell stories about people who are successful and you realize the unemployment rate really has not changed. So, you know, our ability as a company and jobs ability now as a product is designed to at least get us talking the same talk, you know, crossing the same bridge, whichever analogy you want me to use. And that is a tech technical solution to try to match skills to job opportunities. It's my firm belief that if we present our ability, which is hence the name of the company, if we present our ability, small a, a small o, uh, and, and to what we can do, then we will find more opportunity. And that's what we've tried to tried to do with our ability and jobs ability. And so when we think about um, what you're trying to do, you're, you're doing things in such a unique way. Um, jobs ability, so we're going back to a capital J and a capital A, uh, jobs ability is, I'm you know, going to use layman's terms here, it's a really cool piece of AI or artificial intelligence technology built into it. Um, you know, I think a lot of people are considering this leading edge. It's, it's quite unique. Uh, and I'm sure that there are people who are listening to this episode who've never heard of it. Um, and, you know, when we first were introduced to it and started talking about it, and anytime I think about it, I kind of get this mental image of uh, it being conceived sort of like, you know, that first Apple computer by Steve Jobs and the other Steve, uh, you know, building it in their garage. So can you tell us a little bit about how you came up with the idea for Jobs Ability um, and how it was, was developed? Because I know you had to bring a lot of people together to build it. So even if you can share with us sort of what that was like yeah I, I we the I don't know how unique so that's funny thing I, I love your question I don't know how unique it is I don't know how unique we are sometimes I feel like all we really are trying to do is use technology to improve our situation what is unique Jeanette is you and I both know this in the disability space that we're used to dealing with government agencies we're used to dealing with disability service providers we're used to dealing with schools and parents and and we're used to dealing with the things that we've dealt with for generations in disability. What I, I guess maybe what is unique is I said, okay, well, if LinkedIn can work for everybody, if Facebook can communicate with everybody, if Twitter can be the, the yelling platform for everybody, you know, why can't we use that for our own population? So what could we do? And so, you know, what we really, focused on was what technology can we use today that will help people with disabilities assess their skills, answer their questions and find opportunity. Maybe that is unique. And I'm, I'm you know, I love it that you, that you call it unique. It's nice to have an outsider say that. Um, what, you know, what we want to do is to use the best technology and we're not even there yet. You know, what we've done with AI, what we've done with our chat bot to engage people, what we're building on Amazon Alexa and Google Home, and then the analytics that we that we use to cross-reference jobs and skills, you know, that's just a tip of what we can do. You know, there are things that are coming that we're gonna be able to create, really, which is really exciting. You know, I think we're innovating something, yes. Um, and maybe that is unique in the disability employment space, uh, but disability for years and years have led to innovations for everybody. Uh, and so, we, you know, if we if we see that and recognize that, then maybe this is just one more step 
and that ultimately a job's ability could be used by everybody. You know, I can speak to my computer to dictate my book. You know, that was created for people with disabilities initially and then utilized for everybody. Same thing with job's ability. Can we use the AI to communicate and to assess skills and to match the opportunities? We want to do it for our community because we need it. Maybe it maybe it's uh, helpful to everybody down the road. I hope so. So what's innovative, I think, is bringing our typical disability work, which needs to be done, with some cutting edge technology to hopefully have better outcomes. That's that's maybe what is unique. I'm going to jump in here for a sec. There's been a lot of people involved in this, and I was curious, why was it important to you to have all the people you have from Syracuse University involved in our ability and the development of jobs ability? Syracuse, in a lot of ways, Syracuse is where I learned to be independent. You know, you, you talk about, you know, my parents, you know, test drive me, take me home, and it becomes a mantra. Um, that's all well and good until you actually leave home, right? And Syracuse became the place that I left home to, uh, furthered my education, became independent, had to be responsible for myself, uh, had to learn how to make friends because, you know, before that in high school, the really small high school, I had no choice. People that I grew up with were the people that I grew up with. You know, at Syracuse, you have to learn to introduce yourself a new way, learn to, um, you know, go out and go to class and get a job and, and to be truly independent. I've, I've never forgotten that, that I was allowed to be a person with a disability. Yes, I was allowed to be a person at Syracuse, maybe in a new way. And I, I guess I didn't expect it. And so you fast forward, you go through your career, you have a family, you build a company, you, you know, you maybe you're somewhat successful. You look back and you realize, well, how does that happen? Well, part of it, my parents did that. Uh, but also a major part of it is the time that I spent at Syracuse. Syracuse has a long tradition of, of supporting veterans and supporting people with disabilities. And I've known that my whole life. Uh, the disability programs have been increased tenfold since I've been gone. And so it, it only made sense to start communicating with them and their information technology and their interest in disability and talk to them about what we wanted to build. And you know they have, as they always have in my life, they really have open doors and opportunities with this partnership. I, I'm curious, is there maybe in there a little bit that involving Syracuse U so extensively, is it maybe a way of paying a bit of honor to the classmates you, you lost, you know, at, you know, when Pan Am 103 went down in 1980 um, in the Lockerbie bombing? I, maybe, maybe Dean. I mean, I, I, uh, I, you know, I don't really talk about that. The funny thing is, I, I have ten years of speaking. There may be been two or three questions about that. There isn't a day that goes by that I don't think about it. Um, and I, my son is a, my my youngest son is a freshman on campus. So I so it, it brings it all back again. Um, I don't know. I, you know, one of the things I've noticed with us as a a very tight group of friends, and we still are some thirty plus years later. We don't talk about it an awful lot, but it's there. And, um, you know, I, we are all, you know, to a person that we have all hung out with, we're all successful and we're all happy. And, you know, we, we live day to day and are, are proud to be able to do that. And I think maybe secretly, sure, that, that, that creeps in, you know, that I don't forget 
where I was when I heard it. I don't forget the memorial services that we had to go through. I don't forget the, um, the stuff. We had to grow up pretty quick. And it, if you think about it, it was you know one of the first major terrorist attacks. Um, <laughs> it changes you too. So maybe, uh, not overtly, but I appreciate you asking the question because it certainly is something I think about quite a bit. Uh, thank you for sharing that insight on that. And you know, John, um, I mean, when you when you hear things like that, it always it, it gives pause. It does. Right? So so yeah. So thank you um, for for sharing that uh, that insight with us. And it makes me think about um, you know, like you said, you had to grow up fast, and it was it's the the world sort of changes for you as an individual existing on the planet, and. And when when people change, you know, often they have sort of a a vision of where they're going, or they start, or they have to reevaluate where they thought they were going, and and you know what what they're heading towards. And when I bring us back to this idea around our ability and jobs ability and everything that you've you've created, you know, jobs ability is now being used um, in, in a number of states. It's, uh, it's coming to Canada, which we're really, it's coming to Canada, it's here. It's here, people. Um, and, you know, it's, it's such an important addition uh, to, to the job search world. Um, when, you, when you conceived of, of our ability and jobs ability, what was your vision? for it and where do you want to see this go? Jeanette, my vision is you and I, we may work 20 hours a day, but at some point we have to, we have to sleep. <laughs> and any good job developer has to sleep, right? Uh, unfortunately, what I've known in 10 years is the people that reach out to us, text, call, voicemail, email, it's when, when I'm asleep, it's, it's three in the morning. And so, okay, so what can we do? Well, you know, 10 years ago, the World Wide Web has exploded. We can build a, a web portal. We don't have to have bricks and mortar. We can help people here in New York with a, with a dot com. And then it grows from there because people start to find it in the UK, throughout the United States, Canada, Australia, et cetera. And so it, it grows again. And then you realize technology is, is increasing with voice technology and voice enhancements and, and text analytics artificial intelligence. And so the, the, there's a marriage there. And the, again, we don't know where we're gonna be in five years. And that's what I may be more excited about that. What does it become? What, what can we do? You know, what can we break? Um, what systems can we you know, absolutely disrupt the paradigm? That's what I'm excited about. And it all started because you know, the email that I get at three in the morning that says, I need help finding a job. You know, my disability insurance in the U.S. is running out. My job coach isn't answering my question. I had an interview and it didn't go well. That's, that's heart-wrenching for me because that was my experience. And, uh, you know, the, the, the force that we use is, is that. I, I don't want to ever forget that. And this could become the biggest product in the world in employment or nothing. It could be either one. And no matter which it is, I, I don't want to forget that. I don't want to forget that this is about the one person that signs in tonight or sends us an email tonight 
needing help because that's who we need to help. And that's, that's what, what drives us to move the innovation forward. And your, I, your, your energy and your enthusiasm and also your openness around what it's gonna be is, is infectious in the best way possible. I mean, we are sitting in a global pandemic so we should choose our words carefully maybe. <laughs> but, but you said something just now, you said uh, disrupt the paradigm. And, you know, so I, I want to pick up on something that, uh, that marketing uh, guru Seth, Seth Godin talks about in his book, uh, This is Marketing. Uh, I think it's, uh, this is marketing, you can't be seen until you learn to see. And in one chapter, he talks about how you need to ask yourself what behavior you're trying to change with your product or service. And when you say disrupt the paradigm, it makes me think about that statement. So what, what behaviors are you trying to change? Or if you're not trying to change, what behaviors are you trying to reinforce with jobs ability? I th let me take the reinforcement one first and then the change second. The reinforcement one first is that I don't care who you are with a disability. You have an ability to do something. It may be as simple as picking something up. It may be as complex as neurosurgery. But I don't care who you are. You have the ability to do something. And so the reinforcement is let's talk about what we can do. So inside jobs ability, we talk about skills and we, we ask people to go through skills and training and we take those answers in the training to become more skills. That's reinforcing who you are, all right? I, we need to do that because every person with a disability I've ever met, regardless of their non-communicative to, like I said, PhD, we can do something. We need to enforce that skill, okay? And nobody knows that better than the person with a disability. So that's, that's what we need to reinforce, that we need to talk about do, ability, yes, can, all those words. Uh, the paradigm that I want to shift is, and this is what frustrates me, uh, I gave a demo yesterday. And the person I gave the demo to said, they have, they're a job developer, they're working with hundreds of people. They've got three people in mind to sign into this. We got to change that. Mm -hmm. We have got to change that. We've got to stop taking the top three, placing them with the lowest hanging fruit job around the corner and be done. We've got to change that. That, that would mean I would still be on social security disability and unemployed. We have got to change the paradigm that disability service providers, that government agencies, that parents, that brothers and sisters, that people with disabilities themselves, that universities, community colleges, colleges, et cetera, whatever systems we're in, it's not the best three, it's all of. Because if you take the premise, we all have the ability to do something, we need to help all of us. So that paradigm drives me mad, angry mad. And that's what I want to change. I don't want the job developer to say, hey, I've got three people in mind to go through this and answer the questions. What about the 30 other? Do you not care about them? Do, they, do you fundamentally not believe they have the ability to do something? If all 30 are below the bagging grocery level of life, why are you working with them? That's, a, that's some other situation in disability that's not what we're doing. 
let's change that paradigm. That's, that's what drives me mad. And I hear it over and over and over again. And it, I really wish we could change that. And I'm afraid the only way to change that is by some technology like this that bypasses some of that until we get some allies within the disability service community. And then we will, we, you and I both know that we found some allies already. It's their friends that we need to help. And, and that's what we want to do. Mm -hmm. It's, it's part of the whole recruitment system being broken overall in general, is it? I mean, how crucial is jobs ability in that whole context? I mean, you know, you read LinkedIn posts and, you know, and you read comments on LinkedIn posts and people talk about how online application systems are using algorithms and they just, you know, screen people out that are probably really qualified. So where does jobs ability fit into the crucialness of, the, of all of that? Yeah, it, it's a great, the great question. We think we really struggle with that. You know, part of the reason why we use AI to assess skills is our hope to remove the bias, right? Um, you know, when we started our ability, we started our ability as um, with the assumption that it was the business community that needed the most assistance. In the 10 years, and partially this is because of the pandemic too, in the 10 years, that's not what's been true. The businesses that have reached out to us now we're not cold calling all businesses. We're letting businesses reach out to us, but they're ready. They're ready to have this conversation. They're ready to have candidates that come through that are diverse. They're ready for this information. Now the, the shift is it's, you know, can we prove to the disability community itself that a LinkedIn for us can work? And so that's the exciting thing. Um, and so that's what, what keeps us going. And then on the other side of that, it, the other job platforms that have been out there for both able-bodied and, and disabled community alike don't necessarily believe that it can work for our own community. So that's a paradigm shift that we've had. We've had numerous conversations internationally with other parties, and I'll just leave it at that, that don't know how to speak to the disability community at all. So the hope is that if we can prove it on a microcosm scale, through the regional partnerships like with Odin that we're building, that we can little bit, little bit, little bit, right? Just like ad sales. We, we get going a little bit, we show some success, we get some people in here, we get companies coming along, we get more people in here, we get some disability service providers that understand it's a tool they can use for themselves, which will be really essential. We show a little bit more success, the snowball becomes bigger. And then, then we, you know, then we can have different conversations with different international parties. That'll be fun. But right now we're at the point that, again, I think about the three in the morning email and we all, all of us as partners in this need to remember that. And if we help them, then ultimately it will snowball into a, into a bigger way. I'm a rail fan. So I'm going to, I'm going to use the analogy. That it's almost like you're building a railroad one mile a track at a time. I hope so. Uh, and I, I love that analogy. I mean, it takes me back to my O-gauge Lionel train set, right? I mean, it is that though, we're, we're doing that. We're trying very hard, uh, you know, to build connectivity. You know, I use the analogy of a bridge and I think about, you know, one being on one side and walking across the other side, railway, whatever you want. It's, it's very true. We're trying to build it so that I can communicate with companies that may or may not want to hire me and that companies can find candidates that may or may not have the skills. I mean, that, that's what we have to do. I mean, here we are in you know the second year 
of a pandemic. I mean, businesses across North America are starting to open up to a certain extent. How important do you see jobs ability and the whole aspect of disability inclusive hiring being coming out of this pandemic. I mean, there's a labor shortage in both Canada and the US. And I just want to sort of put this in a global context because people are listening to this episode from wherever on the internet. I mean, there's a labor shortage across sectors over in the UK. And I was reading a Bloomberg report uh, that this past spring um, that the labor shortage that's here in North America right now is probably going to hit Europe in the aftermath of the, of the pandemic, and it's probably going to be worse there than it has been here. So what role is jobsability going to play in all of this, at least here in Canada and the U.S.? It's a great question, Dean. I, you know, I, I have thought a lot about that. Uh, I will tell you six months prior to COVID, sort of mid-2018, you were already seeing the labor shortage. We were already experiencing it. Um, you know, COVID has, has put blinders on to all of us about everything in our whole life. So it's, it's, it's hard to remember that. But the truth is, the companies that we worked with in 2018 were, were begging for people, literally. And so we were already seeing that labor shortage. And then COVID has come along and created more people with disabilities, unfortunately, more deaths, more people retiring more people leaving the workforce, and that's only exacerbated the, the labor shortage. Um, what, what I do think is good in a, in a very perverted way, it's good that having this shortage has really opened the eyes to the businesses that we've worked with that add people with disabilities to the Rolodex. So where jobs ability can help is that again, if we can assess skills in a new way and, and get our own community to believe in the skills that we have, through Abby the chatbot or JobsAbility the portal, then we can then match those skills to existing jobs. You know, we in the United States, we, we work with Ally Bank. Ally Bank said to us verbally, we have 345 positions open right now that if you gave us 345 people, we would hire them today. You know, that's real pain to Ally Bank. That's not only pain to Ally Bank, that's pain to the economy in this country and North America. And that's just a one company, right? And so what I think jobs ability can do in a very small way is let's engage people on the front end, either through their job developer or directly with themselves, assess the skills that you have, figure out what gaps do you have in your training, and then see exactly what jobs you can go for. That's where I think this can happen. And this labor shortage is real. And it's also created... Uh, because of COVID, more virtual and remote positions. And here's another opportunity that those have opened up in a great way, and they weren't there before. And I think jobs ability is a way that can help connect people with disabilities to existing work as well as remote work, and that'd be that would be wonderful. And you know, John, um, we know from from knowing you, and also from everything you've been sharing with us uh, today, that you know you don't you're not stopping. <laughs> you're not slowing down uh, and and that you are thinking about this vision of of where jobs ability is going to be in the future being used you know uh, globally all, all around the world and uh, I agree with you that this is going to be a, a great tool out there for uh, somebody to do direct job search or for those people who are in employment services uh, to be able to use this as another tool, another resource to, to connect their job seeking clients to opportunities. 
Um, but I wonder what's next. And maybe I wonder that because I've had the chance to talk to you before. So I feel like there's always something else. Um, is there, <laughs> is there a jobs ability 2.0? Like, what do you, what do you see next? Yeah, I think Jeanette, the, the, there certainly is, and there needs to be, you know, 4.0 and 5.0 and we get to iPhone 13 and, and we have bells and whistles and we all have parties. Um, yeah, there's always things that are next. And because part of that is I don't want to sit still. And part of that's the technology is changing. And part of that's we, we aren't going to solve this problem tomorrow of disability unemployment. I think there's going to be some amazing technical advancements that we'll be able to tap into. I mentioned Amazon Alexa and Google Home. You know, voice is going to be huge. Uh, the continuation of text analytics and, and, and speeding up cross-referencing of, of skills and, and information into job openings is huge. The, the working directly with companies on, um, you know, how they write their job descriptions, what's in the written word that reflects the disability community is huge. So there's, there's so much here that we can build on, on here. And then, you know, the other part of this is not just a, a horizontal, horizontal growth in what we build, but it's a vertical growth. You know, can we expand on our relationship with, you know, with you in Canada? Can we continue to grow into the United Kingdom? What can we do in, you know, in, in Indonesia and India and Australia? There, there, there's ways to continue to grow this that uh, even I haven't thought about, uh, but I am trying to keep that in mind that it's not just about today. It's not just about tomorrow. And like any company owner, I've got headaches to deal with, but it's about two years from now. What is it that we can continue to try to build that will enhance this product to get to a point that more people use it for successful purposes? And there's the modern technology at work as I chat away with my mute off. Uh, <laughs> I'm usually the one who does that. <laughs> usually. It's, I mean, it's not a podcast recording unless somebody's yelling quietly in the background. You're on mute. Um, John, I want to kind of, you know, touch on that. As you said, you know, it's, it's, you're, you're always going to be busy. It's, you're always thinking about what's next. So I got to ask you, have you managed to watch many Bruins games? Jeanette, I do. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's, it's, it's certainly a big part of my calendar. So I actually block out on my calendar what, the night there's a, a game. So um, I will not miss, well, I obviously do miss them, but I try not to miss them. And then, you know, sort of when you wake up and you have your cup of coffee and you're looking at your iPhone, it might be the second thing I look at. So, um, at, you know, might be the first thing I look at. I'm not really sure which is that or the email. Uh, but I, you know, I do keep up on what's going on in the Bruins. I'm curious, you know, being that much of a Bruins fan, I mean, what did you do last year when virtually every sport came to a halt for a while when the pandemic first started? It was, uh, you know, sports really are kind of my outlet. You know, a lot of people maybe go home and watch Netflix and, and uh, whatever they do at night. You know, to me, it's I've got a game on with no sound and I'm listening to audiobooks. And so last year was, was torture. Um, listen, in the, in the grand scheme of life, we're healthy, you know, knock on wood, you know, we're vaccinated, you know, we, we, uh, we're living a new life, but having, you know, the NHL come back, having football, um, having baseball made a, made a huge, 
was a huge mental relief for me. Uh, so sitting down and watching a game and listening to audiobook is huge. And if the Bruins are on, I turn the audiobook on and scream at the TV and tweet negative stuff to the Bruins. And I'm, I'm a, if you follow my Twitter at our ability underscore CEO, I am a nasty Bruins fan. And even some of the Bruins beat writers know it. So that's kind of fun that, that I've engaged with them. Um, but, you know, the, we all had a hard, a hard existence in, in the sports world in COVID. And, you know, there's no greater example of that personally than, you know, my son was a senior in high school in the U.S. and he was captain of his, his, uh, his high school hockey team. And he missed more than half of his season. And at a certain point, didn't think he was going to get anything. And that's 14 years of skating to not get your, your ultimate last game. Uh, thankfully that didn't happen. He got to play 10 games. And so, um, you know, me watching a game is a lot less important than my son having his final game or any of us alive. Right. Um, but we all need, we all need a release and for our mental health, we all need to have that. And for me, it's, you know, to be able to watch a game, uh, either with some friends or by myself is, is really important. It makes, it makes me feel for a little while normal. And then I can be the crazy normal sports fan on Twitter that, that yells at, uh, you know, somebody who hasn't scored or, or whatever. You know, I can really relate to what you're saying because I live with anxiety disorder and photography is my passion. And, you know, when, when, as you say, you need a mental health outlet. So, so sometimes I just, you know, grab my bike and my camera and I go out cycling and I, and I shoot, shoot photos of, of, you know, of, of along the way of where I'm going. I mean, yeah, you know, you're the kind of person who's really passionate about what you do and it really, really, really comes across loud and clear. I mean, how would you compare your passion for what you're doing now with our ability and jobs ability to that passion you had back in the day for broadcasting and the passionate belief you had that TV advertising could do so much for a business? Yeah, so that, <laughs> so 1994, 1997, 2002, you know, there really was no internet. Uh, there was no cell phone. The, the, the great mass medium was, was television was broadcast television. You didn't have to be wired to a cable. You know, we all, we all were still doing appointment television. You know, all of us were watching Seinfeld at a certain time and, you know, getting your local news in the morning on the same place. And uh, so broadcast television was something I believed in because it really was the mass medium at the time. Um, I think one of the reasons I left television when I did in, in, you know, 2009 is it wasn't going to be mass medium anymore. It was going to be these, these cell phones that we hold. And the internet that we have in front of us, and so I, I I lost belief in television, at least broadcast television, being being that mass medium. You have to believe in what you're doing if you're going to be successful. You have to believe in yourself and what you're doing. So to me, you know, the, the passion that I have for for jobs ability and and at the time my love for for television and and, and mass media and communication, it's because I believed in it. I believe in our ability today. I believe in jobs ability today as a product. I also believe that I don't know what the future holds. I, I know that I'm not perfect. I know that our product is not perfect, but there's nothing out there that is. And so if I believe in it and I believe it can help and I believe we can make an impact and we can make improvements, then we can, we can do what we're gonna do today. Um, you know, that passion is what has driven me. Uh, I, I am this way, you know, if I'm going to be 
a Bruins fan, as we talked about that a minute ago, I'm going to be a passionate Bruins fan. I'm not going to be a passive one. And if I'm going to be a fan of jobs ability and, and what we're building, I'm going to be a passionate one from the t-shirt that I wear to the coffee cup that I have to whatever, because I want to, I want to believe it. And I watched many, many people not succeed in, in advertising sales. I watched many, many people not succeed in, in broadcast journalism. Uh, I watched many, many people not succeed in education in those fields. And part of it, a good part of it was they didn't believe in what they were doing. Um, I've tried very hard to pick things that I really believe in. And I hope I always do that because it, it's, it's what drives me to be successful. So John, it makes me want to ask you a lot of other questions, but I'm going to kind of try and put this together uh, out loud. So you've created our ability and jobs ability. You've had a hugely successful sales career. Um, you were named a White House champion of change for disability employment by the Obama administration. You cycled the Erie Canal Way. Uh, I think it's 363 miles across New York State every year. Correct. Um, you're talking to us about the level of, of passion that you have and, and the value system that you have. Um, you've got a list of, of goals still. You, you acknowledge you know, what your accomplishments are and you also, you know, you've been acknowledging what what success looks like for for lots of other people as well and you're you know you've really sort of opened opened our eyes a little bit to who you are and i'm going to take us to your um to your your book so in the opening of get off your knees you had said that you expected to get your university degree check uh, have a job check be a productive tax paying member of society I'm assuming you pay taxes so we'll say check uh, and that and I'll quote you that there was a part of me that didn't want to look at it like maybe I'm inspirational maybe I can help somebody so how do you feel about that last statement now um, you know, when you think about what what you've brought us, everything that you've you've done to build our ability and now jobs ability and and the 2.0, the 4.0, the 5.0 that's on its way, um, you're really making an impact. So, what do you think now about inspiration or being inspirational? Uh, Jeanette, that's a tough one. Um, you know, we we talked a little bit earlier about about my college friends and they've really become the best friends of my life and sort of brothers to me. And, you know, they raised me as much as anybody did really being a freshman in college and learning how to make friends. You know, we were at a, uh, <laughs> we were at a casino one night and I was 20 years old in Atlantic city, actually in the Trump casino. <laughs> and, um, which is funny. And, um, this, this guy came over, and said he really, he was drunk and he really wanted me to come meet his brother who was in a wheelchair and you know, I was so inspirational and he you know, really wanted to do it. And, um, a couple of things happened. I, you know, I've, I've learned how to deal with that. I mean, I, I, I don't like it. It makes me cringe. I, I don't wanna be anybody's inspiration. I realize at 52 now that that is a role that I have to play for some people and I need to tolerate that. Um, but you know, my friends have reminded me in my adult life that that night in, in the casino, 
uh, I was, I didn't, I told him, I said, I really don't want to be, you know, anybody's inspiration. I'd be happy to come over and talk to anybody you want, but you know, I, I'm not your inspiration. Please don't let me be. Um, and I went, I did, I went over and talked to, you know, his brother or friend or whomever that was, and that was fine. And, you know, my, my roommates thankfully got me out of the situation after a few minutes, which was great too. Um, but I, I really have always never wanted that. Uh, I, that word, uh, you know, bothers, bothered me. You know, again, at 52, I, I got to deal with that. Right? Um, and I've learned how to compartmentalize that. And I realize it's not actually what somebody's saying. You know, sometimes they're saying thank you. Sometimes they're saying good job. Sometimes it's attaboy. You know, like the hole in one that happened a couple of weeks ago. You know, a lot of people said that was really inspirational. I realized, okay, but it, to me, I'm just going to take it as a great job, attaboy, and that's what I want, right? Because that's, I, I just want to be seen like everybody else. You know, that night in the casino with my, my college buddies, I just wanted to, you know, go and watch them lose money and people watch and have a beer or two, and that's what it was. But, um, I do realize I look dramatically different. I am very physically disabled. Uh, people are going to stare at me all over the place. There isn't one situation I don't get into where I'm not being stared at. And so I, that word comes out quite a bit and I've had to learn how to deal with that. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, is really, is really interesting. Um, the, the different forms that inspiration takes on and, uh, you know, when I think about what you have built and your engagement with the students at Syracuse and some of the other schools uh, in the states that will remain nameless for now that you are talking to and um, organizations like ours and other places where you're, you're, you are inspiring us through the work that you're doing and the product that you have created to push ourselves to, to do more and, and be more and, um, and that, I'll take that all day long, Jeanette. And, and I'll take, you know, the, the uh, young student saying, Hey, the business you've created is, is inspiring. I'll take even the, the hand cycle trip across New York state. You know, that was a, that's a, <laughs> that was a hard feat, no matter who you are. And yes, with, with, you know, limited arms and legs, it was very physically taxing for me and for Doug Hamlin, who's a quadriplegic, who's a good friend of mine. It's not just getting on your bike and riding 40 miles every day. That was very hard for both of us. So I'll take that word in those instances, especially in running a business. Um, you know, but when you're, when you're having a beer and you're at a, a poker event, eh, mm -hmm. I'm just a guy. I'm just a guy that has a bunch of friends and is, you know, makes mistakes and, you know, laughs at bad jokes and, uh, you know. You're human like the rest of us. Yeah, right. And, and I understand they don't, they don't, maybe they don't mean it the way that I take it at times. So I've had to really, def, you know, take that down a notch in my own mind and, uh, and learn how to deal with it. And you know what, learn how to deal with being a very visible public person. Uh, that's a mind shift in my own self that I've had to deal with. And it is, it's such a, a different thing. And, um, Right when when you've created something that then puts you out into into the public and you know again we we talked about all of these successes and the way that you're pushing other people to think about technology differently to think about the services that we provide um, to think about the options uh, and opening up 
up new platforms for people to search for for work. So there's there's a lot of success there, and I hope that you'll take that in in the way that it's intended. And then on the reverse side, you know, do you have do you have days when nothing seems to be going right? <laughs> today, <laughs> so today, so my computer crashing for you know, and you know this because you've been on a few of them now uh, on multiple webinars in the last four business days, and being on tech support. Yeah, th today is a day that isn't going all that well. Um, and, you know, that's fine. That's part of life though. I mean, that's part of the disability experience. That's part of the human condition. You know, not everything is going to be great. Um, not everybody's going to like me. Not every piece of software we develop is going to be right or work. Um, it, not every, you know, friend that I have is going to be happy with everything that I say. Uh, my family is sick of me at times, <laughs> you know, we're, we're, that's what we, that's, that's, that's life. And, you know, I guess one of the things that I've been really lucky in having a disability is I've had to learn that. And I learned that at a, at a younger age. And uh, I, I'm appreciative of that. I'm curious, you know, you, there are so many things that are important to you. Where in all of that, how important is that serenity prayer that's hanging in, the, in your house? Oh, it's everything, Dean. Um, you know, I don't... <laughs> Two days from now will be the anniversary of my mom's death. And, um, you know, my mom hung that, made a needlepoint and hung that in my bedroom. And um, I read it every day as a kid. I guess I didn't really realize it. And then I, someday I realized I was reading that. And then, you know, she had Lou Gehrig's disease and she was dying. And, you know, we had our daughter. And all my mom really wanted was a grandchild. I mean, I met, I met, uh, our oldest son when he was two and Andrew and I got married when he was four. So our daughter became uh, my, my parents' first natural grandchild. And so, you know, she asked me on her deathbed what, what they could give her as a christening gift. And I, you know, I had never forgotten that serenity prayer. It, you know, listen, we all have things that we have, you know, touchstones in our life that we have to go back to in the hard times. Um, you know, maybe for me, it's different things today, but, uh, you know, the serenity prayer is still hanging up in our house. It's still something that I look at. It's still something I think about if I've got a, a dark moment uh, again at three in the morning when I'm thinking about, you know, life and work, uh, you know, I definitely say it and think about the words, uh, as much as you can. Uh, it doesn't fix everything, but it certainly brings you back to a grounded level and you know for me the grounded level was uh you know my i was a if i'm a shock when you see me walking on the street at the casino now i was absolutely a shock for my mom right when i was born and so it was purposeful that she put that there and it was for both of us that it was in hanging in my room not just for me but for her as well you know it's it's for me and my daughter that it's hanging in the house right so something that i haven't forgotten and definitely think about it's part of who you are, isn't it? And I'm curious, you know, at three o'clock in the morning, do you ever think about who is John Robinson? If I, you know, when I ask you that question, I ask you, who is John Robinson? What would you say? No, no, I've been married for nearly 30 years. And so I'm not allowed to ask that question. That's a very, uh, very self-centered question. And so, no, I don't ask that ever. 
<laughs> uh, my wife is trying to keep my head at a smaller level. So uh, no, that is definitely not a question that I ask. Um, <laughs> do, do I, do I, you know, in the, in the dark of night, think about where I'm going or where we're going as an organization? Absolutely. Um, you know, and, and it's to the point of wanting to help someday, you know, jobs ability and our ability will be something else being, you know, with another company run by somebody else. And I'll be really proud that we started it. And I'll be really proud that it's taken off and done something else for other people. That's, that's my goal with this. I know that this, this issue of disability employment and this product jobs ability and Abby that we built is way bigger than I am and way bigger than our team. We're, we're just here on this planet to begin it and get it to a certain point. And they'll let the Odins of the world, let the, the Microsofts of the world and the Syracuse University of the world take it and run with it and help help millions of people. You've been great. I mean, we've talked about so much uh, on this episode. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you think maybe is important to mention for a minute? No, you know, we're, we're proud to be here. We're proud to connect. We're proud to partner. Uh, we are very proud of, of our uh, partnership in, with Ontario Disability Employment Network and the work that we do throughout Canada. You know, Canada's uh, is a, another home for me. Um, you know, my wife is, is from Ontario. She was born and raised in Montreal. Her siblings and, and father still live in Ontario. You know, my, my father's mother and father came from Ontario. And so we have, you know, I have distant blood relatives in, in Ontario and Quebec. So um, it's always been home to some degree. It always will be home to some degree. And so we're really proud of, of all of our relationships uh, but maybe I'm I'm a, maybe a little bit more proud of our relationship with Canada. Well, I think Canada's pretty proud to have a relationship with you too, John. Um, and you know, I'm I'm realizing that we could probably go on for a few more hours. This has been such a lovely conversation, John. You're shaking your head. No, I have things no. to do. <laughs> um, but for us, this has been this has been such a great conversation, John. Most definitely. I mean, John, you're just so passionate about what you do and, and about your mission with our ability and jobs ability. And it really, really comes across. And I think there's been so many great insights in this episode that I really hope uh, get listeners thinking. And Jeanette, you know, I think I'm going to have to connect John with my cousin, Mark Askin. I mean, I can see them hitting it off and talking hockey for hours. John, you're the ultimate Bruins fan. Mark is pretty much known as the best hockey producer in North America. And I can tell you, he's a walking encyclopedia of hockey and he's got so many stories. I remember going on a, we had to, him and I had to go on a road trip for a family funeral to Sault Ste. Marie uh, one summer a few years ago. And he kept, and these were all the kinds of stories where, you know, what stay, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. But, you know, his encyclopedic stories kept me in stitches for the entire eight hour trip up to the Sioux. So I can see you two guys having a really long coffee break. Uh, you know, Dean, I, I, I love that for a lot of reasons. One of the, as a hockey parent, as a lifelong hockey fan, and um, I know that hockey is a small community. It really is. It truly is, especially in North America. And so having those conversations and, and knowing people that know people are, are just wonderful to hear. Um, you know, we got to know uh, the, the local AHL head coach here in town who, who played in, uh, played in the Sioux. <laughs> and so, you know, it, it was great to hear those stories. As far as the, the ultimate Bruin fan, I got to take one step back on that. You know, 
And if, you know, we're at the end of the podcast right now, so I realize maybe people have tuned out, but the ultimate Bruins fan was Gord Downey. And so to bring everything full circle for me, you know, the time that I spent living in Toronto in the early 90s when I was unemployed meeting my wife, I became a huge hip fan. And so in my office is, uh, there's a Gord Downey, pic Gord Downey picture that my daughter gave me. It's hanging here right over my computer. And uh, Gord was the, the biggest Bruins fan. And so one of my cool things was hearing him talk about ex experiencing the Stanley Cup win in 2011 with his son. And so I don't want to be the, the ultimate Bruins fan. Let's let's let the Lake or Downey be that. Let me let me be a Bruins fan, and I'll I'll be proud to carry that mantle. Well, you know, John, hockey and the hip, and you can trace some lineage back to Ontario. So you're you're a Canadian. Um, you're a Canadian in our hearts, and uh, and I am really looking forward to an opportunity to uh, connect with you in person. Uh, we've had so many online meetings and and lots of virtual chats and conversations like this uh, that I just it's not it's not the same as being able to be together. So uh, when that border opens, I look forward to us getting together and maybe we'll do a, a Canadian sampling of Tim Hortons coffee. We'll play some uh, some tragically hip. Um, I'll I'll wear a Leafs jersey. That's fine. I can do that. Um, and <laughs> no, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. I can't. Um, and then, and then we can sample some some really good local uh, local brews. And um, and so I, I'm hoping that that's a deal. It's a definite deal. Absolutely. I I, uh, I look forward to it, Jeanette. And um, I can't wait to to meet. You know, be in person, uh, talk about all these things in person, and continue the growth together. Me too. Thank you so much. And so. Oh, good. On that, I will say that uh, that that's this is it for this episode of You Can't Spell Inclusion Without a, Without a D. And I'd like to thank our guest, John Robinson, one more time. John, again, is the founder, president, and CEO of Our Ability and the creator of Jobs Ability. So until next time, I'm Jeanette Campbell. And I'm Dean Askin. Wherever you're listening from, thanks again for listening to this episode of you can't spell inclusion without a D. Join us each episode as we have insightful conversations like this one and explore the power of inclusion, disability and employment, and the business benefits of disability and inclusion from all the angles. You Can't Spell Inclusion Without a D is produced in Toronto, Canada by the Ontario Disability Employment Network. All rights reserved. Our podcast production team Executive producer and host, Jeanette Campbell. Our producer is Sue Defoe. Associate producer and host and audio production, Dean Askin. Our podcast theme is Last Summer by Ixon. If you have feedback or comments about an episode, contact us at info at odinnetwork.com. That's info at O-D-E-N-E-T-W-O-R-K.com. Listen to You Can't Spell Inclusion Without a D on Podbean or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. 